Um, so, Ed, I'm afraid this is going to be a highly unprofessional podcast really? from my perspective. Yeah, because I watched the game in a bar in Manchester called The the Footage. And um, because I... Ha- so good, did you see any of the game after 12 pints of skull? <laughs> because I have a uh, an injured foot, I had to sit down and we got there a bit late and the only seats available were... I could see like a third of three different tellies. So if I move my head around really quickly, I could see the whole screen. Um, so I don't really have a very clear sense of what happened. Not because I was drinking... It will not surprise listeners to hear I was drinking room temperature still water. Um, uh-huh. uh, to be honest, your experience is not... Not that unlike going to Goodison, game Park. At Goodison yeah. Park, where there's not a lot of poles in the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I was trying to recreate that authentic experience. Um, how I, it looked to me, like these are these are my impressions of the game, right? I mean, De Gea, we know this is now a thing, and it's going to continue to be a thing, in my opinion. Um, but it's a different thing. It's a different thing, but it's De Gea struggling with doing basic tying up your shoelace type goalkeeper level activity and then Fernandez's goal was good but Pickford should have done better we had seemingly quite a lot of control and thrust in the first half and then I was absolutely shocked we didn't concede a goal from one of the myriad set pieces Everton had at the back end but also we probably should have scored in that second half so that, that's my there you go those are my complete thoughts in, of, on the game right that's this pod done then uh, <laughs> see you next week folks yeah <laughs> No, I mean, I think that's about right. United had an awful lot of control in the first half. So, yeah, freak goal, what, three minutes into the game? De Gea just way too casual. He wasn't under any pressure at all. It was just uh, just, just not moving quickly enough. And I don't know, focus, concentration, what is that? That's Because that, that's not a skill deficiency per se. And it's not him being Flappy Dave, which is what we've seen from him mostly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, free goal. But after that, United took a lot of control, I thought. And, and through midfield, uh, Fernandez looking bright, energetic, as always, trying stuff, as always. Looked like he'd be United's most creative player, although it wasn't necessarily functioning further forward for him, as in he wasn't really creating a lot of chances. Um, but I thought United were in a lot of control. I thought Matic had a, a good game especially in that first half, helping United just keep tempo. And it like after United scored on, what, half an hour or so, the, the tempo of United's game dropped a little bit. And just something about the intensity that United went about the business after going behind was good, you know. And I thought that was a positive sign that United were able to, to step it up control the game, put Everton under pressure. And then when Fernandez scored also from a pretty terrible mistake, Everton trying to play out from the back and just completely hashing it. Um, after that, it just dropped off. And I don't think United ever picked up that level of intensity ever again in the game and then just came under increasing amounts of pressure. So in that second half, I don't know how many corners Everton had, but it maybe a dozen. It was a lot anyway. Yeah. It felt it felt inevitable that we can see from one, and it's sort of amazing that we didn't. In a way, the thing to go back to De Gea, I think you know the, I think most of his errors have been errors of concentration or decision making. In a way, because because I I think you know we know he has sort of superhuman reflexes, and I, I kind of mean that almost literally. And I think if you put him under a, 
in some sort of machine that tests reflexes three years ago and compared him to every other human, he'd be in a very, very small percentile, I would imagine, um, of ability, or certainly like reflexes combined with the ability to move your arm to the right place. But it does, it feels like a lot of his mistakes have been mistakes of concentration. And, and, and that's almost the thing that seems to have really changed his brilliance as a keeper. And I suppose maybe, I mean, this is completely off the top of my head, but there's, you could sort of understand in a way that it's not like going to be physical decline for De Gea that does for him because, you know, he's still a very young man and, and he's a goalkeeper. So the physical challenges aren't the same level of intensity as they are. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're specific and intense in their own way, but we know goalkeepers have longer careers, but relying on that level of your neurons firing, you wonder if they could just burn themselves out at some point. You know, he's just he's just zapped his own brain by relying on it to be so brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it's what scientists call proprioception. So it's uh, it's not sixth sense, but it's the the mind's ability to take all the information that it gets and react quickly. And he's got yeah. It's- insane levels of proprioception so he we, he he, we call he, it, he knows the patterns they're going to happen he's able to react before he needs to react if he was just thinking about it um but yet at the same time and this is the kind of paradox here it's he's doubting himself in certain situations yeah and it is it you know um the mind and the body are not two separate entities. They live in the same thing. They are, you know, the the mind is a function. Well, it's a combination of functions of the You wait till I can upload my brain. <laughs> well, th- you would still be missing an awful lot from like your stomach and all the other bits of you that are involved in um, proprioception. Um, or like uh, we often refer to it as the pre-conscious mind because it's the kind of bit just outside of our awareness, not in the kind of realm of the subconscious or the unconscious, but the the bit of you that, that you know, I, I, I think I might have referenced this on the podcast before, but I once went on some lone working training when I was working in frontline support work and they said, one of the things you need to do is if you are, if you get a bad vibe, leave the room because almost all the research suggests on these things that people know before a bad event goes down, that a bad event's about to go down. Often we don't act on it. And and it's that kind of thing that obviously, like you say, he's reading angles and calculating ballistics and doing immensely complex things. Of course, this was not that. This was a much more, much more basic lapse in concentration. Um, Yeah, well, they're not the same things. And I I think... No. I I think maybe that's it. Maybe when he has more time to think about something. Because not a lot of his mistakes have been shots that have gone under the body. Some, some. In the last year and a half... Oh, definitely last season there were plenty yeah. of shots that went. Well, there were four errors leading to a goal last season yeah. and the three so far this. I mean, it's not uh, all the data that's yeah. available on no. um, on Dave's decline or poor form or mistakes or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, I, and, and in a way you can be, you can, I mean, we've got a United podcast and we do two episodes a week and we literally need stuff to talk about. So that's why we had a seven minute conversation about this moment. But you you can be you can read too much into one incident very easily 
But this just is not an isolated incident. This is, in fact, a very well-established pattern at this point that he's still going to have amazing games. He's still going to pull off saves that literally no one else would pull off, but he's going to make mistakes. I think that's become that's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. Yeah, and of course the conversation then turns to, to how serious is this. I mean, we can see the evidence and it's been a fairly long time that we've seen this evidence now. He's not of the standards that he was once. I mean, still, he he made a great save with his feet against Everton. You know, he's still capable of doing that. Uh, how much are United losing with the mistakes that he's making? Um, there's no guarantee another keeper would would not make those mistakes but be up to Dave's other levels. It also costs United tens of millions, which is is a factor. Unless, of course, they bring back Dean Henderson. He's a very young keeper. Never been done, done very well this year. Never been tested under the real scrutiny of, um, of, uh, of the press and attention that United get because he's made mistakes at Sheffield United. It just doesn't... It's not talked about as much. Um, so, you know, I, I guess my question is, how much of a problem is this? And is this something that United need to fix? I get another keeper with the with the cost involved in that and shipping Dave out or accept. Yeah, and I think the answer is going to be B because of the complexity of A as much as anything else. It, you know what? It, it's like a slightly less extreme version in my like opinion as it currently stands which is definitely open to change. Like I'm not married to this opinion, but it feels a little bit like Arsenal giving Mesut Ozil that last massive contract that they sort of mortgaged themselves to him. And that's meant some quite complex things at a time when his utility is declining. And it feels a little bit like a slightly less intense version of that because it's not... Because, first of all, he will obviously naturally play more games. You're not going to drop David De Gea. Um, and also, I, I wouldn't say that his decline is on the same level as what's happened to Mesut Ozil. No, um, he's making errors. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. and, like, it's obviously, it's obviously always magnified, but, uh, like, the very best strikers in the league have a conversion rate of, like, 15% yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that. So... <laughs> Dave's Dave's save rate is something like 78, 79%, something like that, I think. And his error rate is seven in what, sixty games or something like that. Which is which is a lot worse than it once was. Yeah. And and I think given given how complex it is, I this is this conversation is in many ways a waste of breath, but the, it, not least of which because there's nothing United can do now anyway, unless PSG come knocking. I have to say, if this summer PSG did say, here, have umpteen millions for David De Gea, I don't think I'd be crying at this point. Not that I don't, I'm very fond of him as a keeper and I think he's still got plenty to offer you to United, but I actually think now wouldn't be a terrible time to to sell him if the if there was an option. Yeah, and unfortunately there's two, always two dimensions to transfers with United, especially when we're losing players. It's, well, I, it's I who mean, comes in, and there's no guarantee there would be someone coming in, and then there'd be a just a whole because R- Romero's going this summer, and so's so's Grant. So United would have to sign Henderson plus another keeper, and then we might be you know maybe maybe Henderson works out. 
and and he turns out that he's on the path of becoming a really top level keeper. Maybe he doesn't. We're back yeah. in Roy Carroll, yeah, Tim yeah, Howard territory. Or maybe yeah. we keep Dave and he declines really really fast, and there's nothing we can do, and we lose all option to sell him. You know that that. So anyway, should we we should probably move on to something else that happened in this game. And that just to say we've had loads and one of the reasons we're having such a long conversation is we've asked for questions on Twitter and Instagram. We've had loads of questions about De Gea. So if you've asked a question about De Gea and Henderson, this th- there you go, that's it covered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It answered. Um so uh I I thought Fernandez hit his shot very well and like you say he you know he continues to just he just continues to look a cut above and in the first half in particular he looked like from what I saw he looked like the the best player on the pitch I mean uh the, the one kind of moment from a United perspective that that's probably worth talking about as well is um the Igalo shot that was saved by Pickford um which this might be a little harsh because it all happened quite quickly but it did look to me like I mean, Pickford got a lot of credit for the double save and he, he did well, but it, it looked to me like Agallo really kind of hit it back towards the middle of the goal where Pickford was coming from. Yeah, I mean, uh, United very low XG in this game. That was like 0.6 of it or something like that. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very poor finish from Igalo. Uh, he just he just knocked it back at the keeper and kind of padded it back as well. Nothing particularly uh, clinical about that finish. Fernandez, uh, when I when I first saw it, I thought, oh, he's hit that early and surprised the keeper. But no, he's run about ten yards with it <laughs> and then struck. He he strikes a very clean ball and it's dipped just before Pickford. Pickford. Uh, I think now, I and mean, we talked about Dave, I think we can safely say that Pickford, that's his pattern. He makes oh. quite a lot of errors. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, uh, more and, more uh, than any other keeper in the league, I think. I, don't, I might have yeah, made that Yeah, except up. for Dave. They're on seven over the last two years. <laughs> right. made, I think Pickford's made more this season. Right. So I, I think that was selective uh, stats demonstration on the TV feed there. But yeah, I mean, Pickford makes a lot of mistakes, and there, there was once uh, when when United were negotiating with with uh, De Gea for that new contract, which now looks like something of a millstone, doesn't it? A lot of suggestions that Pickford would be the one that United would go for, and I was like, please don't, no. Max. Uh, anyway, um, Fernandez, another goal. That's three and five and a couple of assists and a lot of very positive performances. Did give the ball away in the attacking third. An awful lot, by the way. One occasion of which Everton broke and got into a very dangerous position. I Look, I know... I know. Yeah, isn't, <laughs> um, it, isn't it terrible having a risk-taking attacking midfielder? I hate no, no, it so I much. love having a risk-taking attacking midfielder. That's not the point. I mean, because we defended Pogba for this exact same thing. Although Pogba, I think, is not as loose with his uh, with passing. Um, it will be against better sides a bit of a problem Yeah, if this continues to happen. So but, if he gives away 15 passes a game in the attacking third and United are overloading, better sides are going to score goals against United. That's, that's my only thought there. The thing about that is, that is true. And I think that is, it's like you were saying about De Gea and kind of when, you, if you look at net benefit, United have a much, much bigger problem with breaking down worse teams than they have conceding goals against big teams. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, one thing about Bruno is 
Mourinho would absolutely hate him. <laughs> he would hate him so much. He works hard and puts in a lot of tackles. He does. But Mourinho would just have him playing right back. So all he could do was work hard and put in a lot of tackles. Anyway, look, he's been a huge positive for United and yeah. and a big factor in the and in the sort of good results of late. So it's eight unbeaten now. Uh, hopefully we make it nine against Derby County on Thursday night. <laughs> Wazza bangs one in from however far out and, and with some tough games to come, of course, City coming up, no, not too the, distant future. But look, we're in a positive period right now. I wonder that that Everton game, I mean, it's like I said, it was hard to work out from watching three different thirds of a telly, but it didn't feel positive. But I've had, I've had kind of equal amounts of feedback, not, not solicited feedback, just people messaging to say kind of actually I thought we played really well in that game and I thought we were absolutely terrible in that game and I've seen and I wonder if that's just because we played really well in the first half and quite badly in the second half and then there was a couple of moments you know you said earlier that the intensity never came back it came back momentarily in counter-attacking situations a couple of times in the second half and did look like we might well do something on the counter um but we coughed up a frightening number of chances in that game. Um, big chances too. Uh, was there a VAR thing? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, we haven't even talked it about wasn't that a, yet. It wasn't a VAR thing. It was a bad decision made in real time thing, really, that wasn't VAR it? VAR like, corrected, yeah. Yeah, So exactly. under any interpretation of the law ever, offside, since it came in, that's offside. Any right. single one of them. Ever, right. Right. So right now you'd call it passive offside. But he's active as soon as he moves. And yeah. in the old days, when it was much simpler, it's just offside. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I don't know what the drama and debate was about that, really. It was very clearly an error. He's right in front of Deva De Gea. And it doesn't matter that De Gea's moved to the left or to the right, as I've seen some arguments you know, taking into context his position, it doesn't make any difference. He's right yeah. in line of the shot. He had to move out of the way. He's clearly active. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, anyway. uh, not not even really much to say about that, except the, the right decision was reached and relatively quickly too, and it's just totally non-controversial. No, um, except Everton might well have deserved it for their second half performance, of course, and, and uh, sure. Carlo Ancelotti got extremely angry about it. Carlo Angriolotti. Oh, that's very bad. bad pod yeah, very title. Bad, sorry. Yeah, maybe. No, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd do that to you, Ed. You, you've got. You'd have to type that in. Um, I've typed that once into a WhatsApp message, and uh, it didn't feel good. I'm I'm lying. It felt great. I love it. <laughs> I stand behind it wholeheartedly. So, of the of the eight games that United have been unbeaten, there's this one mixed bag. There's Club Bruges, very easy. Bruges getting a man sent off. There's the win against Watford, which in the context of their win against Liverpool at the weekend now looks very good, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was good. It was, it was good. the second half, but the first half was terrible, right? That's the first yeah. half. Yeah. That was the dreadful first half game, yeah. Okay. Bruges away, which was very, very flat. Yeah. Indeed. Bad. Wolves at home, was which bad. was extremely flat as well. Yeah. Uh, and the City away win, which sort of doesn't count because City didn't have to push it- Exactly. And they didn't want to take any risks. And then the, and the we something went against we, Tramia. So there are quite a lot of caveats in this run. Yeah. But I do think we want to take the positives because you take them where you can right now yeah. with this United team, don't you? Absolutely. And the winning run's coming to an end fairly soon, most likely. Well, I mean, just not that's not me being 
negative and cynical about it. I just on the balance of probability, it's it's likely yeah. that this winning runs. Well, in the next month, soon. I mean, we've got some really key fixtures. The City game, which of course might not mean much to City, I suppose, except for it's the derby away yeah. at Spurs. Definitely means a lot to Spurs and in the chase for a Champions League place or European places. Their, their manager may have a degree of emotional investment in the outcome of and that game. some of that as well. And yeah. uh, and we don't do well against low block teams, do we? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We do. You know. I mean, he's beaten Guardiola and and Mourinho already, hasn't he? Old old Ollie. Yeah. Ula. And then uh, we've got the Sheffield United game in the chase for Champions League places as well. No, so I mean, yeah, massive big games. Yeah, it's going to be huge, and and you know it's interesting to see fitness levels and stuff like that. I thought it was good that Martial actually no Martial didn't get much of a it was Greenwood that came off for Gallo, wasn't it? So Martial didn't get much of a rest against Everton, and and he was doubtful, and so yeah, it's it's going to be a tough month. When does the Europa League fixture kick in again? When's that? Is that this month too? Yeah, it's the twelfth. So yeah. we're away against uh, LASK on um, the 12th and then at home on the 19th. So uh, we we had a long, long, long conversation about uh, who we might get in the Europa League. Um, and, and, and how forgetting the, that it was actually, yeah, the next day. Yeah, the draw yeah. was the next day. And we got, a team, we got a team that literally fully never heard of. And that is unusual because played a lot of football manager and don't often come across European teams that you've genuinely never heard of before. But um, yeah, never heard of them. And uh, we'll do some research, I guess, by which I mean I might read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh, there'll be some YouTube channels. I can check out some of their players and uh, look at some of the data. And they, their home ground uh, is, has a capacity of 6,000. I'm sadly going to miss almost all of that one because uh, that's that, that's played during working hours for me. So I'm I'm literally working while that game goes on. But the away leg... I shall watch it for the both of us, yeah, Paul. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, the home leg, though, is is an actual evening fixture. So congratulations to us for uh, not being a complete shambles. Oh, well, just 50%. Um, talking of complete shambles, I'm now talking about our podcast. Is there anything more we want to say about the Everton game? No, I don't, I don't think so. All right. Uh, I, I, yeah, look... Away at Everton, a I wouldn't say a resurgent Everton, but uh, an Everton that's certainly doing better under Carlo Ancelotti. One-one. It's not a bad result in the context of our whole season. It's not a great result given there's only ten games left, and it's really squeaky bum time for Champions League places, and it really does matter to the development of the club. Uh, and Chelsea dropped points at the weekend, and this was an opportunity. So, yeah, I feel from like, that perspective, a bit disappointing. I feel like we're going to hear that sentence again at some point because what oh, sure. this, this league is so weird. The fact that Watford ended Liverpool's unbeaten streak is so surreal and just kind of weirdly fitting for this season. And also, if this is their Devon Lock moment, it will be the greatest Premier League system season in all time of all time. Um, <laughs> Definitely not going to happen. No. I think they might have to lose like. Eight of the last ten. Yeah, I believe us. I think. Yeah, I think they need three more wins. Might be four. Anyway, uh, let's not talk about Liverpool. Let's take a break and then come back with some listener questions. We hope you're enjoying the No Question About That podcast. We are open for sponsorship, so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show, just drop us an email at nqatpod at gmail.com. I think that's one of the most stupid questions I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I test my patience. 
Okay, Ed, I'm jumping straight in. Um, this is a question from a friend of the show at Katie Lanter. That's Katie in Atlanta. She says, have you ever embarrassed yourself in front of your hero, brackets footballing or otherwise? This is Yes. Because, have you? So <laughs> Literally what, have. What did you do to embarrass yourself in front of a football well, hero? Well, I may have mentioned on this podcast one or a thousand times that I, I bumped into Eric Cantona in Rio. Yeah. I'd had about 12 gin and tonics. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you drinking gin and tonic in Rio de Janeiro? Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. They may have may well have been Caperinias. I can't remember now. <laughs> okay. it, it was in a, like a jazz club. <laughs> okay, at about four in the morning. So I'd had quite a few. I wasn't exact. I mean, I was fairly effusive in my gushing praise of his career. That feels appropriate, though. That, I don't know why that would. It, be. it is. Yeah, the slurring. <laughs> the slurring was embarrassing. <laughs> and I love you, man. It was a bit, yeah, and the groveling. <laughs> Bit embarrassing. Um, I have never met one of my footballing heroes, I don't think, but I did do a bit of a giggle when, a, a kind of squeaky giggle when Louis van Gaal asked me what I would do about the United not being able to get through a low block. And also, weirdly, when I met Mario Melchiot, I pat him on the back, patted him on the back, which was a strange out of, I don't think I've ever patted someone I just met on the back before. Um, he was very huge. Um, the uh, the reason that Katie asked this question though is because she met Paul Scholes and David May and she had a photo taken with them, sat between the two of them and then she patted them both on the knee before she stood up, which is the most beautiful visual I can imagine. Of just like, I think there's no doubt in my mind Katie would have pulled that off, no problem. Um, okay, do you want to pick one from Twitter, Ed? Yeah, Sasha Kaura says, is Bruno Fernandes the best Bruno to ever exist? Has there ever been any better Brunos in the course of history? Uh, I mean, the thing is, the only two things that Bruno is associated for me with in popular culture, I guess three now, is Bruno Brooks, the 1980s DJ. I mean, Bruno Fernandes is definitely better than Bruno Brooks. And then Bruce Willis called his... His album, The Return of Bruno, because it was his kind of like crooner alter ego. Bruno Fernandez definitely better than Bruce Willis's crooner alter ego, Bruno. And uh, a Sasha Baron, one of the lesser Sasha Baron Cohen projects. Yeah. It's called Bruno. Yeah. What, what, that yeah. was the fashion, fashion. Yeah person yeah yeah look frank bruno of course. Oh, that's true but mm. not 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 the best boxer ever but you know some some good nights of our youth i i seem to remember us uh watching one of frank's fights against yeah, mike tyson in a in the student union in aberystwyth at like three o'clock in the morning that's right do you remember that there was yeah. a stand-up comedy yeah, show yeah. before that and it was so bad. I do remember that. I remember it being one of the worst stand-up comedians or, in fact, sit-down-on-a-tall-stool comedians She'd ne- ever. She'd never she done it before. And she did, like, this... Oh, my God, this, like... It wasn't terrible. It was just a drunken student boxing crowd and she was doing, like, um, observational airline material. If <laughs> you ever noticed how the peanuts on this plane are so dry? <laughs> it's this is not... Please stop this now. It didn't go well. Um, all right. Friend of the show, Rich Williams, says, Will Herrera be happy to see Mata's fledgling relationship with Fernandez or seriously, secretly jealous? He might, might be jealous. It might be... There's a little bit of a bromance. I'd like to see the two of them play together a lot, as I keep saying. I've said about three times in the last show. So, um... I think I think Matter is a serial bromancer. I think that's the thing. I think wherever he is, he'll find a brother in arms because you know he's a he's a he's a friend 
He's just a friend by nature, so he's always going to have a friend on the pitch. Yeah. Busby Babes MU says, is there a future in the 442 Diamond, or was this just a one-off? I mean, another change in formation from United. Is, we didn't really talk about it earlier, but 3-5-2-4-2-3-1, Diamond this time, although Martial and Greenwood were very wide all of the time, and so Bruno sometimes took up what you might think of as sort of false nine positions. So I, I do wonder, is this... I mean, it didn't really seem to be a reaction to Everton's tactics, although Everton do play two up front as well. So perhaps gave a little room for for playing more players up front. Um, but I wonder whether it's Solskjaer just trying to eke out a bit more in his team and not quite sure of the best formation at the moment. I mean, you were talking about the importance of midfield overloads in this game, and maybe he was just trying to get lots of those because you can you can get midfield overloads with a diamond, can't you? And and sure. we do have fullbacks that can provide width. That you know, we really do now. Um, uh, so especially with Wambasaka continuing his yeah. improvement in the attacking third, it's not a flash in the pan. This by any means. Um, no, no, it looks like he's working on it. I mean, yeah. I don't know what he's doing, but he's looking very effective going forward. Yeah, he's not putting up Trent Alexander Arnold numbers. <laughs> well, I mean, he's not looking generationally effective going forward in the way that, say, Trent Alexander Arnold does. Um, but yeah, I, I, whether it's here to stay, I mean, I do think it's odd that every time we play a two-striker formation. I know I complained about this. I can't remember what game it was, but we played three at the back, and James and Martial played up front, and they were very wide again and I guess that's you know Martial's played a lot on the left and and it's kind of a tendency Greenwood's played a lot on the right so you know it's and maybe maybe it's just a plan as well to provide some extra width and assume that the midfielders are going to break forward especially Fred and I mean Fernandez obviously playing in the the tip of the diamond but you'd expect Fred to get forward a lot too yeah Um, I mean they're kind of inverted forwards if that's the thing, if you know what I mean. So Martial does like to come in off the left, gives him the opportunity to shoot, and same with Greenwood on the right. We've seen that quite a lot, and it does give space for Bruno to come with those sort of third-man runs or get into a zone that no one else is occupying. So there's, you know, there's probably some method in the madness. I just, I'm not exactly sure what the plan was. And, and United were able to, for 45 minutes or so to control the tempo of the game with a lot of players in the middle of the park. So, a couple of questions that are sort of linked here, sort of linked. Um, DJ Fergus 1 saying, is the tide turning towards Ole in, or is this just a Bruno honeymoon? And um, a a question from Jack Brindley, 1990, saying, thoughts on the improvement of defending corners, some solid development, in my opinion. Um, And the, the reason I picked those two questions as being sort of linked is I think that's one of the big criticisms levelled at Solskjaer's door, a couple of months ago, I remember talking about it, that that would be something that you would be really looking at as a coach from a coach thinking like this is something the coach can have a big influence on and, and isn't. So if it's true that our defending from corners is improving, um, which it might well be. I mean, like we conceded all those corners and didn't concede a goal, which I wasn't expecting to be the outcome. I mean, that doesn't mean universally our corner defending has therefore improved. And and I, I wonder whether that is actually something to look at and go, well, maybe... Because I'm, I'm kind of like scrambling around looking for positives. I have been all season, like looking for reasons to believe in Solskjaer because another turnover in manager is the last thing the club needs if it's avoidable. Um, sure. 
So I mean, it has been a weakness. Yeah. And, and so, look, defending the corners very well in this game. Huge positive on that one. Have conceded more goals from corners than almost any club in the league this season. So it's been a massive weakness. Yeah. So if it is improving, maybe that is part of things in general getting better. Now, whether the tide's turning towards Ole in or if it's just a Bruno, um, uh, a, a Bruno honeymoon, I think I would say in terms of the overall cultural tide, it's more of the latter than the former. Because as we said, that eight game unbeaten streak that we're on has many caveats in it. But it's an eight game, it's an eight game unbeaten streak. It doesn't matter how many caveats you put in in the end. It's like, you know, the results are the results. I mean, we should always be looking, I guess, more at process than results, really, if you want to build sustainably. Um, but but you could say that there are some improvements in the pro in pro, in processes too. Mm. AWB reacts says, "Who will win the Ballon d'Or first, MUFC's Bruno Fernandes or MUFC's Jadon Sancho?" I think it may be Real Madrid's Paul Pogba actually. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know if I'm just being silly or I'm not exposed to enough of the media around this, but I don't understand why United fans have convinced themselves that Jadon Sancho is due to end up at Manchester United. Like, I just, I just don't get it. If I look around the world landscape of football and and his level, and he came from City, like, does, there's no natural fit in any way. Is it just we'd really like him and the, the idea is we've got lots of money or, or maybe could yes. have money? Yes, I, I think I think that's it. It's... Uh... He he um, he was apparently a boyhood Chelsea fan. Right. Although he's still a boy, isn't he? So maybe <laughs> still a Chelsea fan. I don't know. But they have, uh, if they don't make the Champions League, they have some uh, financial fair play issues with spending 120-odd million. And, and Abramovich has certainly scaled back the spending there. They, they have to be sustainable. So... They're definitely not up to United's level of potential spending. They're also buying Ziyech, right? So Yes, who plays in basically the same position. Although yeah. I think he likes to come off the right and Sancho likes to come off the left. Uh, so, you know, in theory, both could play. But they've got Pulisic, who's had a decent first season in, in England yeah, after a slow start. Um, don't think he'll go back to City. City have their own issues at the moment um, with FFP, obviously. Uh, slightly different ones. Uh, Spurs don't have the money to do that. And it's not obvious that any of the big Spanish clubs are after him and, and uh, Bayern Munich couldn't spend that kind of money and they want Leroy Sane anyway. So I think it's just kind of process of elimination. Now, whether United will stump up the money is another question. And will they stump up the money on that one big deal at the expense of other deals that may need to be done too? Yeah, I guess I mean you've just sort of answered the question really which is why are we th- why am I hearing a lot of, of optimism about it when it seems like why would a player that good join a team that was struggling so much and Fernandez has just done so but he's at a slightly different level it's a he's had a very different career he's coming from sporting which is a much kind of le- I mean I, I you know I'm not super familiar but it, it's not Borussia Dortmund, is it? Like, there's more reason to leave Sporting to come to United than there is to leave Dortmund to come to United. I mean, we've just seen a player choose Dortmund over United. So, you know, I know it's not not like for like. But anyway, anyway, that's a, a long, a long and, answer. And of to course, the... he could just stay at Dortmund for another season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
so the, the oh that was my question oh yeah it was yours wasn't it that's my turn that's very exciting um <laughs> out of celebrations heroes and quality street asked stale 1910 what is the best assortment of chocolates so oh. this feels like it's in your wheelhouse ed you're, you're oh. a fan of a sweet treat yeah but i don't like super sweet chocolates like those okay Wait, what was what were my choices? Quality Street. I guess we we'll chuck roses in there because they're they're the like same, the same, same, same. Yeah, yeah, quality Quality Street roses, celebrations, or Cadbury's Miniature Heroes. Oof. You see, yeah, actually, see the thing is, in my office there's a little corner where people bring sweet treats. Sure, and we quite often have a selection of these type of things. It's very dangerous, <laughs> and I'm not a huge fan of any of them. Although if I had to choose, it's probably the Cadbury's Miniature Heroes. No question about that podcast sponsored by Cadbury's. <laughs> oh yeah, that's two <laughs> weeks in a row. Um, the uh, for, in the interest of balance, I would say if I did not, so I don't eat um, eggs. And so if I did, then I guess I think I would pick Celebrations over Cadbury's because I would prefer, but but basically all almost all the Celebrations have got eggs in them because they've all got nougat in. Um, so when the... Re- I, and I, listen, I can't lie, I've got a lifelong love of the Quality Street based on the most predictable thing in the world, which is that my gran used to have Quality Street, which is like this the most grand thing ever, isn't it? But like those toffee pennies as a kid, I was I was big Pretty on good. them. Take your fillings out though. Yeah, and, and not, they're just not. It's just not food, is it? It's just hard sugar. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I would go Cadbury's Miniature Heroes as well. All right, we'll take one last one. Ollie Espinas says David Beckham set up Inter Miami recently, possibly the worst name for a new team. If you were Paul, we're going to set up a new United tribute team. What would you call it and why? That's a great question. Um, so, so NQAT FC, I mean, there's, there's a good chant going there. I um, I called my uh, fantasy football team the Rank Cast-Offs, which at the time was just a little play, but now we have cast off the name Rankcast as well, so it's dub- doubly appropriate. You could you could argue it was foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, we should say that um, it's worth mentioning, neither you nor producer Tom have looked at your fantasy team since the first day of the season. <laughs> no, I mean, that's pretty typical. I do that pretty much every year. Yeah, you somehow had a 50-point week two weeks ago, uh, which doesn't seem possible. Tom, however, is quite literally uh, in last place in, in the uh, formerly known as Rankcast uh, League. Yeah, I've paid attention. I've paid ev- attention every single week this year, and and, and where are you, Paul? Seventy position again. Seventy fifth. Trying. There are definitely people who are not trying at all who are above you me. You are the, the Oli Gunnar Solskjaer of fantasy league. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Yeah. Anyway, into Miami, they lost to LAFC in their first MLS game. Right. Very fetching pink kit they've got, and uh, I think a pretty sound logo. Did them back to back flamingos? Did Inter Milan not sue them for the name Inter because they claim that they're the only Inter in town? Well, no, it's Internacional Football Club de Miami or something like that. It's because they have a obviously a large Latin ex population in in Miami, and, and and there's an Internacional in Brazil as well, is there not? Uh, there is indeed, but I think uh, Inter are arguing that um, if you hear Inter and you're talking about football, you think of Inter Milan, and they're not wrong. But that's not their name. And they probably might have a trademark, though. Yeah, they might have a trademark oh. on it. We'll find out more. This one will run and run. 
<laughs> All right. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm not sure I uh, actually answered the question, but uh, we'll, 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 we'll. I wonder whether I wonder whether there's a lucrative tie-up in a summer-friendly United versus Inter Miami. Quite possibly. Well, there's definitely one in United versus other Inter or United B, as they're uh, they're known. Or I guess United A, given that they might win the league with all our <laughs> cast-off players. Um, the uh, I, we would normally take a break at this point, but um, we're heading into a preview of a Derby County game, and I'm not sure we're going to give this the appropriate length of time to justify another advert break in between now and then. So, I mean, unless you've got big plans to talk about Derby, I say we just roll into it. it it's all about weather, isn't it? There you go. That's my preview. Yeah, I mean, um, Derby have really struggled this season basically up until the arrival of Wayne Rooney. And it's not been smooth sailing since, but he's... I was talking to a Derby fan about this and and they said he's just had a massive lift around the place and you can really see a kind of inspirational effect on some of their younger players and some of their players that have maybe never played at the top level. You can absolutely understand why. I mean... You know, we we talk about this all the time, but we spent five years just desperately waiting for Wayne Rooney to leave Man United, basically. Uh, And it did sour a lot of things. But he's done everything you can do in the game. He's won everything except international tournaments. He's been one of the best players in the world in his day. And he's outrageously gifted at football. And apparently, like, he seems very well liked wherever he goes as well, in dressing rooms and stuff like that. So... Yeah, he's playing in a double pivot, so and uh, as a kind of defensive midfielder, well, deep lying playmaker, pinging balls around, and he's still got that. He's just his legs went about ten years ago, so it's it's amazing. He's uh, he's what a year older than Cristiano, or a year younger than Cristiano? Younger, can't. Yeah, yeah, young Cristiano. Uh, yeah, well, no. Listen, yeah. I'm basing that off. I've just realised. No, he is, just, he is younger. Yeah, I just realised why I thought yeah. it though, and it's just because we signed him a year after we signed Cristiano. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, and it just shows you what the complete dedication that Cristiano's had to his sort of personal physical fitness and conditioning has done for his career because they've both played a hell of a lot of games. Yeah, I, I do often think for Rooney, I might have said this before on the show when this has come up, but I think it's a little bit of an unfortunate comparison to have because it's like, oh, the most physically dedicated human in human history is more <laughs> dedicated than you and has extended his career. Like, it's like, yeah, it's not exactly the fairest comparison, is it? To You know, you, you can't just have Cristiano as the benchmark for, like, narcissistic dedication to perfection. <laughs> What about what about Ryan Giggs then? He didn't. Uh, he obviously had a drop off in his career in terms of his standards, but he was he went out at the very top. Yes, replacing David Moyes. Yeah, these two, <laughs> these two perfectly normal, uh, reasonable benchmarks to set <laughs> anyway, for other professional footballers. Fine, I'm just going to set perfection as the benchmark for Rooney. I, I look. I hope he has a good one against United. Uh, not too good, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, my our hashtag agenda against Rooney has uh, changed completely. Now he's gone yeah. because I think the the problem was he was just at the club way too long, yeah. um, and his standards dropped off far too much. So did the rest of the clubs, by the way, and have been continually falling ever since. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this one. There's of course Tom Lawrence in the Derby County side as well, former United Academy player. 
Um, but they haven't got much else in their team and they're not doing particularly well in the championship. The, the, so Frank Lampard took them from sixth in the championship to sixth in the championship and they've been falling since. I mean, the Philippe Cocu is a kind of an interesting uh, appointment. I mean, he's obviously well-known in English football, but the, the other thing about Cocu is he's part of the Van Hal school. He's, he's part of that kind of was a player in what Jonathan Wilson calls the kind of greatest extended football seminar in in history when Guardiola, Mourinho, um, uh, Koeman, the what's his what's their names, the De Boer brothers, and Philippe Cocu and various other managers who've managed at a very high level to greater or lesser success were all at, the, at Barcelona around the same time. So he's, he's part of that that crew. And so you're expecting Derby to tiki tacker their way around? <laughs> well, I, no, I mean, I think they, you know, they do look to play the game. They, I mean, they do look to play football. And I mean, it's it's Koku. He's not going to, he's Dutch. He does not play long balls. Remember how Lou van Hull handed out dossiers when people accused him of playing long balls? Um, I remember a Dutch journalist at the time saying, what you have to understand about his reaction to this is being called a long ball merchant in Dutch football is genuinely like a, a vicious mortal insult, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, look, I'm sure there's going to be a good atmosphere. It's, a, it's, at, um, it's at Pride Park, Yeah, isn't it certainly it? is. Yeah. On Thursday night, uh, and they'll try and make it try and make it difficult for United. They'll try and get the buzz around. They'll try and be in, you know, causing United problems, I suppose. Last time we were there... We won't We won't pick a full side, though, will we? And that's a factor as well. I mean, that's a, a great point. I was just going to mention, last time we were there, I think we had 5,000 in an end, because it's an FA Cup game, isn't it? So a massive allocation. So if we've got a massive allocation again, the atmosphere will be amazing, but it will be like United away fan amazing because that that atmosphere was right up there with like I mean it's very weird to say uh, I think a fourth round game against Derby County is a game like I really desperately wish I'd been at but that definitely was one where the atmosphere was unbelievable so if it's anything like that I mean if Wayne Rooney scores a consolation goal in the 80th minute when we to make it 4-1 his name is going to be sung for the next 10 minutes straight no doubt about that Oh sure, he's going to get lost songs anyway. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to this one. What, what kind of side do you think United will put out? I mean, how many changes? It's going to be six or seven at least. But think? it could be more than that. I mean, I, I know I said this like before the Bruges game, but I guess we. So we've got the derby on Sunday at four thirty. So. Later on the Sunday, a couple of hours more recovery time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that makes any difference, sports science wise. Um, the it's a huge risk to play a weakened side because our weakened side is so weakened. The one thing he hasn't done, he didn't do it against Tranmere, he didn't do it against Bruges, is weaken the defence in a significant way. So, True. I mean, and maybe we'll see Bailly again. I would, of course, love to see that. Probably will do. But Andalo needs some minutes. Yeah. Brandon Williams could come back in the side yeah. because Shaw's been playing most of the games recently. And Shaw's going to play against City. The one thing is, I guess, what we should sort of reverse engineer it a bit and work out what the team's going to be against City. Let's assume actually... Well, City will go back to a three at the yeah, back or five at the that's back. that's what I was so going to say. Williams will probably play that game too. Yeah. yeah. But I think he'll probably start against Derby and Bayou will come in, you're right. Romero will start because he's the cup keeper. 
And then after that, it's, uh, it's yeah. I mean, you're talking about Lingard and Pereira if you're rotating. Uh, Mata... Maybe they're coming out of the cold. Mata should definitely play this game. Uh, after his performance against Bruges, I think he should have played against Everton, but he definitely should play this game for sure. Um, and he... Uh, him And and Fernandez should play. Uh, kind of has to play, I think, because... But... Don't think he will. Do you not? No. Okay, well, that's interesting. I think we might well see Lingard and Pereira back in the side, uh, at least one of them, uh, after they've taken their punishment beating. And Daniel James, I guess, will be rotated back in. Yeah, that makes sense. Martial, with his muscle injury, doesn't make any sense to play him at all. No, so it's Igalo up front. Igalo, James and Greenwood play, play Could be. in the front three. And then you reckon, like... Tahir Chong could start. I mean, he's been getting a few more minutes. Although you really, you more... really don't think that he's going to take this game seriously at all. Then I think he'll. I think he'll change heavily. Uh, talking of which, a little side note on this one: uh, a lot of talk that he's signed a three-year contract with Inter Milan. Ah, oh. Chong and will go on loan to one uh, another Serie A club for at least a year. Right. Okay, well, I guess we wish him well in his future endeavours, as they say. I mean, I, I think I, I it hadn't really occurred to me that we'd play a substantially, substantially weakened team in, in this Could we one. see an Angel Gomez? That'd be nice. Rumours, of course, that he's been offered and has signed a two-year contract. At United? Not confirmed. Oh, right, oh, well, yeah. if that's the case, then maybe, I guess. But maybe off the bench if we're winning. I think it's going to be, uh, I mean, I... I could be completely wrong, but my instinct was that it would be a stronger side and it would be more a kind of, let's say, Mata, James, Igalo. Um, I think you've got to play Fernandez. And then we could say maybe Pereira and Matic and Williams, Dallow, by Maguire, because Maguire plays every game. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, stronger at the back than at the front is my prediction. I don't know the exact mix. I, I think with the... Derby coming up. It's not just it's the Derby. Points in the Premier League are so much more valuable than the FA Cup right now. And so you'll prioritise that. And just depending on how fresh everybody is will will be the determination about who plays. Right. Well, uh, I guess we've got to make a prediction. I'm going to say based on the starting 11 that I suggested, um, I'll go with a 2-1 United win. Based on a weaker starting eleven. I'm going to say the worst possible result will happen and it'll be a draw. Although, no, there's no re- no replays in the fifth round, so that's fine. That can't happen. Fine. Uh, pens. Extra time pens. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I was going to go for a 2-1 win based on it being seven or eight changes, something like that. I think that's wildly optimistic that we would get a 2-1 win with seven or eight changes, but hey, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I look forward to it. You keep being right about everything we disagree about on this show. Martial's injuries, the pod, the you got the prediction of the Everton game spot uh, on. Fluky, yeah. fluky. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew Varchester United would be, would be back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Patreon backers, stay tuned for some poli- hashtag politics chat. So actually, oh. either stay tuned or tune out depending on your preferences. I would Depending on whether you like our snowflake cuckoo. Yeah, I was going right? to say like, but depending on your preferences in two different ways, talk about politics and the specific nature of that talk. So yeah, that's coming up. Everyone else, um, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye now. <laughs>